and welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Emma Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we're doing a rapid fire. We have got a total of 32 questions that we are going to blast through and answer all of your questions. Now, these questions have come from the most recent webinar we did, which was all about bank lending. Now, it's been a couple of weeks since that, but I think we've got an excuse because that webinar got disrupted by COVID. We were going into lockdown that same night. So we're only getting around to this one now. So let's just jump into it, Andrew. Question number one is yours. Okay, first question is, I bought my first home nine months ago, which I currently reside in, owner-occupied, and at the moment, I've got about 100k usable equity, which doesn't give me much purchasing power in Auckland. Do you think I should buy something cheap in a region or wait for Auckland? Great question. I think that the challenge with waiting is that everything else goes up and you end up paying more, so probably I'd start looking around for stuff. Maybe what you could do is do some calculations as to where you expect the value of your house to be in, say, a year's time when you're actually going to be drawing down your investment loan if you're buying off plans. And obviously there's a risk to this, but if you put down, say, a 10% deposit on something, if, if you're comfortable that with your growth in your property and your debt repayments and maybe extra savings, you're going to have enough to have the full 20% at settlement of your new investment, then I'd probably just push myself there as well. So kind of a roundabout answer, it depends. But if you can't buy in Auckland, probably look Somewhere else, but if you can get it to Auckland, then great. Question number two is from Anonymous says, I intend on putting my investment properties in a trust. How can I use the equity I build up over time to? pay off my owner-occupier. The first thing that's important to realise is, yes, as those properties increase in value, you can borrow more against them. But remember that the LVR is going to be 60%. And if you bought properties just before the LVR restrictions came in, you might have an 80% loan or a 100% loan against those properties. So it could take a wee while before you're actually able to borrow against them because that mortgage has to be 60% of that property's value first. So the property has to increase in value quite significantly before you can do that. But after that, yeah, you can increase the size of your mortgages and then transfer it over, get some accounting advice about how to do this, but you can take it out and then put that against your owner-occupier. Question number three, if unemployed person has 65% money in the bank to buy a property, can he get the remaining 35% mortgage from any bank in New Zealand to buy for a price of $1 million? Look, this is a hard one to answer without knowing all the other details, but I'll assume you've got nothing else. Probably not. You're probably going to have to go to a non-bank lender for something like that. Number four, this one's from Gillian. Do non-banks also evaluate a person's serviceability with the same tests as a normal bank? They do have much stricter tests, but there are a few things that are quote-unquote pragmatic. One big thing (laughs) is that if you're on interest only then they will take that into account and they will test your payments on interest only, whereas a normal bank will usually test you on P&I, so it's a lot tougher. There's some other differences, but we'll get into those. Question number five, Andrew. What if we take out cars? So in some instances, banks actually put the number of cars in, so they figure out your expenses based on that. ANZ, for example, is a bank that asks how many vehicles you've got. If you've got two cars at the moment and you only need one, you can absolutely reduce it down to one, and that will help your servicing. And actually, it can make quite a big difference, Andrew. If you went from one car down to zero cars in the spreadsheet, which people can download, it's about $80,000 difference in terms of what you can borrow. Question number six is also from Anonymous. Could you let us know how existing loan repayments are factored in when banks are running their numbers? So if I chose my repayments from 750 a week to 770 would that make a difference? Well, if you increase the amount that you're paying out per week, then Yeah, it's going to make a difference because you've got less UMI in order to go and purchase 
a new property. But look, $20 a week does not make that much difference. It's about $1,000 that you'd be able to borrow extra. So decreasing a repayment per week from $770 to $750, not going to really make that much difference. Next question is, do all banks have similar loan affordability? Can we access them? Yes, they do, but no, you can't. Banks tend to keep these pretty much in-house and for brokers. And then Glenn, you've got a great question. As debt-to-income ratios may be introduced, is it taken into account anywhere in the spreadsheet which we shared at the webinar? And actually, we'll give you the link at the end of this podcast as well. So debt-to-income ratios may be introduced. We don't take them into account in our spreadsheets and most mainstream banks don't take debt-to-income ratios into account because they're not introduced yet. So we don't need to have them in there when they're not in place yet. But there is one main bank, ASB, that does have an internal debt-to-income ratio, which I believe is about six or seven. And so they will take that into account. Next question is, if you are freehold on your owner-occupied property, then is principal and interest better than interest only on an investment? And that's from Tony. Yeah, it's not a bad option. It depends on your strategy, Tony. If you're wanting to expand your portfolio, then often interest only is better because it allows you to keep doing that at an affordable sort of cash flow level. If you've got surplus money, absolutely paying down debt is awesome, but I prefer to use things like revolving credit facilities or offset facilities so you've got access to that money. One of the downsides of property is not liquid. So if you pay off an extra 400 grand off your property and then you want to use that money, you can't just necessarily take it back out and you can't sell part of the property to do that. So maybe using something like an offset might be better. Number 10 is from Phil and he says, thoughts on if interest rates increases may be delayed slightly due to the latest level four lockdown. Now it's interesting Phil because the OCR increase effectively was delayed because of that and it wasn't necessarily that it was because the lockdown came in but it was that the time between the lockdown coming in and the OCR review was only about 24 hours so they kept it low but I expect an increase shortly but the thing is that I think people pay too much attention dare I say it to the OCR because interest rates have been increasing even as the OCR stayed low so we're going to do another podcast on it but I expect interest rates to keep rising regardless. Absolutely. Number 11, where can we download a copy of the spreadsheet? Ed, can you answer that one for me? <laughs> Opuspartners.co.nz slash borrow. I'll drop a link into the show notes for that. Some people are having trouble downloading that. If you do, send an email to andrew.nickel at opuspartners.co.nz. And since I answered it, Andrew, you can kindly send the spreadsheet to people. Ah, uh, yeah, perfect. Question number 12 is from Philip who says, how is Amex, so that's American Express, factored for monthly expenses? And this is a great question because with some Amex cards, though this is getting rarer, there is no credit card limit. So how is that assessed? Now, what the banks will usually do in this situation is they will work out what your usual spending actually is on that credit card. So let's say it was 10 grand a month, you were regularly spending on that and then paying it all off they will then factor 3% of that or the minimum repayments on that amount and say, okay, that's how much you're actually using of that. Yeah, the no credit limit facilities with Amex are a bit of a pain. Most of them have to be paid off in full every month. Like There's no minimum payment. You have to pay it off in full, in which case they'll just consider that expenses. Claire's next question. In terms of living expenses, does your bank use three months bank statements or what you put in the application? So Claire, is an interesting time at the moment because the banks are reviewing the responsible lending code or, or the responsible lending code is being reviewed and they are going to be scrutinizing your bank accounts to make sure what you've stated is actually true. So if you say that you're spending 200 bucks a month on food and you're actually spending $1,000 a month, they're going to use that. So in essence, it is what's actually going out. 
And question number 14 is from Danubia. Oh, one of the good old friends of the show. How many borders will second tier lenders consider? I've got three borders, but BNZ only takes one into account. And that's true, Danny, because most main banks will only consider one border and a maximum of about $150. So let's say you've got a border who's giving you $250 a week. They'll only take into account $150 of that. With a second tier lender, they'll usually count two or three, but will more often just take what you're actually getting. So if you've got three borders, all giving you 150 a week, they'll usually take into account $450. Next question is from Jay, and it's, hi guys, great presentation. I was wondering if interest-free platforms like Afterpay and Layby affect your UMI. Yes, they do, Jay. So if you've got facilities and you've got money going out, the banks are going to consider this as an expense, particularly because it will often show a habit. So if you are using Afterpay all the time, then you're probably buying extra stuff. So they want to consider it as an expense. So try and limit these things before you go and apply for a loan. Number 16 from Sophie. How do bank servicing calculations change when you're a contractor and deemed to be self-employed? So what they'll do in that instance, Sophie, is they're going to be looking at your previous financials. And we've just done a podcast a couple of days before on this, probably based off your question. And they will be looking at both the money that your business is making and on top of that, anything you're paying yourself. So if your business is making profit, it's going to really benefit you. If your business is making a loss, it's going to detract from your servicing. Next question from Tony is, what about penalty clauses for earlier payments? I'm assuming, Ed, because uh, I wasn't actually at the webinar, that he's talking about if you're making extra payments to your loan and break fees. Does that sound right to you? That sounds about right. I think he's betting as an alternative to a revolving credit. You're right, right, right. So if you are making lump sum payments to a fixed loan, there can be break fees. Often you'll find that your bank will have in their document that you can either do 5% or $10,000 lump payment every anniversary of the loan and without penalty. So just check the fine details there. Over and above that, I don't really have much of a problem with early repayment if you're paying back the loan because you're paying the difference between the interest rates. So if you've agreed to pay 2.5% and the rate's gone up to 3 there is no cost to the bank of lending that money out again, so there might not be a break fee. If it goes down the other way, okay, so you've gone from 3 to 25 and you've got to pay that half a percent, you're still saving 25 so it's worth doing. Number 18's from Connie. What if you're over 50? Do they take that into account and reduce your loan to? Now, this is such an interesting one, Connie, because under the new responsible lending code that Andrew mentioned before, and we'll do a podcast on this, they are going to be much tougher on people who are a little later on in life. And look, 50 is not that old, but if you've got a 30-year loan term, they want to know how you're going to pay it off once you hit 70. And my understanding is that the banks are going to start looking at if your loan term extends past 70, they want to know your plan for paying that down. So stay tuned for another podcast, but we do know that this is going to get increasingly tough. Next question is from Rachel. Are you able to re-extend a mortgage back up to 30 years if you originally took it out for 30 years and now you say five years in? Yes and no. So you can go to your bank and you can ask them to do that. Often they might. Sometimes they'll say no. Sometimes it's easier just to go to another bank and re-mortgage that and then they'll probably look at the 30 years much easier. But if there's a valid reason, and again, like Ed says before, if under the Responsible Lending Code they're able to do that, they might. But I do find that moving your mortgage is sometimes easier. Question 20 is from Claire. She says, I've got no credit cards, no KiwiSaver contributions because I'm self-employed and limited income, no debt, including no mortgage. I've got substantial equity, no investment properties, how else can I get more from the bank to purchase my first investment property? 
And the thing that this is probably going to come down to, if you really want to borrow from a main bank, is going to be that you need to get your income up. So one of the things here you've said, Claire, is that you're self-employed and on a limited income. Maybe one thing that's holding you back is perhaps you don't have two years worth of financial statements yet. That's where you might like to consider checking in with a non-bank lender, which might only look at the last six months of your self-employed income. But at some point, guys, you may need to just earn more money in order for the bank to be able to lend you more or find a higher yielding property where more of the rent goes towards servicing that mortgage. Or go non-bank lender. Don't be afraid of those. Christie's next question is, if you're not committed to KiwiSaver payments, but you make weekly voluntary payments, and this would probably go for someone that's paying 8% and they only need to pay 3 do the banks take those into consideration? Yes, they do. So they look at what you're actually doing now. So if you are tight on servicing, it's worth reviewing that before you submit your loan application. The other interesting thing there that Peter mentioned at the webinar, Andrew, was that even if you're making a voluntary weekly payment like this, so you've got 3% standard and then you're paying an extra $100 a week in, that they would consider that as an expense. Yes, that's right. That's right. So what often I recommend people get advice around is whether or not it's better taking those voluntary payments and putting them into something like a just a standard managed fund that you can control. That would just be seen as an investment or savings rather than a commitment. And is that because with KiwiSaver you can't take it back out because it's locked in? Well, yes and no, because you can still stop that, but it's just the way they treat it. If you're putting it into something like a managed fund, I guess they see it as more flexible. In fairness, both are equally as flexible. You just can't take out the money from KiwiSaver. Question 22. This one's from you, Rachel. 40% deposit requirements seem a huge barrier for someone wanting to start investing in property. Is your recommendation just new builds, turnkey packages at this stage? So I agree with you, Rachel, that it is a massive commitment needing to come up with a 200k deposit to purchase a 500k property. Now, new builds may be the right solution for you. I mean, I don't know much about you, Rachel, so I can't recommend what you personally should do. The main strategy we recommend through our our coaching program is we focus almost exclusively on new builds because of, because of this exact reason and a couple of others. But you might also like to consider buying in a cheaper region. And I'd recommend you listen back to, we did a great podcast called Where Are All The Cheap Properties At? And we just did an Instagram post about it not long ago. There are still cheap properties out there. I believe there are something like 10 to 30% of the properties in Clutha District uh, still sold for between, I think, three and $400,000. So you can consider new builds, but you can also consider buying in a cheap area and renovating. Next question I've got here is from Karan. How much do car loans affect us for servicing and do we need to go for a long repayment term? So car loans typically are over a short period of time, either three to five years, because of the nature of the asset that they're attached to, if you can call it an asset. And so because of the, the high depreciation, they tend to be on lower repayment terms. That will seriously impact the amount you can borrow. So often what investors that I've seen do, they might amalgamate that loan into their mortgage if possible, if they've got plenty of equity there, and they'll spread out that payment over the 30 years of the mortgage. Now, yes, I know what you're going to say. That means you're going to pay a huge amount of interest for a car, which is true, but also not true. If it allows you to get into the investment market, then it's the lesser of two evils. Next one's from Tony. How do you go interest only for longer than five years? Now, when you apply for a bank loan, Tony, and you go interest only, they will approve it for a maximum of a five-year period through a main bank. Now, at the end of that five-year period, 
there's nothing stopping you from applying for another five-year interest-only period. Now, if that gets a bit tough because of servicing, you can always extend your loan again or refinance to another bank. And it is interesting to note as well that a company, Resimac, a non-bank lender, is offering 20-year interest-only loans. But what they do there is they'll let you go interest-only on 50% of the property's value and the rest of the loan amortized over 20 years. So you're making far lower payments and have that interest only locked in, might be worth considering. Next question is, how big of an impact do kids or impending kids have on lending? Pretty significant because they are considered an expense when the bank's looking at it. The more kids you have, the more expenses you have. That's just true. So yeah, it does have an impact. Not saying don't have kids, but just obviously consider this when you're working through your numbers. It's about... $110,000 difference by having one kid that you can borrow. Oh, is it really? Oh, it's a lot of money because it's about $327 a month that it costs you to have a kid. Kids aren't cheap, Andrew. I know you've only got one, but... <laughs> and final question, last one from Daryl. How do I get one of these mugs on display? So when you when you come to our website, <laughs> we've got our Property Academy podcast mugs. We do have a couple left. Now, if you'd like one of those, we should probably do a challenge, Andrew. If you'd like one of those, here's Put a review. Um, oh, put a review. Yes, that's a great idea. So if you'd like one of these, we probably should incentivize you to do these, actually. So how about if you put a review on Apple Podcasts, screenshot it, and send it to andrew.nickel, at opuspartners.co.nz and we will send the first 10 people to do that a Property Academy podcast mug because we'd really appreciate those reviews and I think we've probably got about 10 left. We should do another order. I've actually thought, Andrew, that we should get Property Academy hoodies so that you know we could roll around open homes and identify one another. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll come up with some more merchandise if the fans want it. Okay, now let's wrap it up there. But I just want to read you a review. This one comes from Rossi Lister, who says, fills the gaps. As a chartered accountant turned mortgage advisor in 2021, I've really appreciated the podcast to help fill any gaps in my knowledge and cement confidence in the industry, which my clients really appreciate. Insightful fun leaves you wanting to listen to another. Hey, Ross, we really appreciate it. And really cool to hear that even though you're a professional working in the industry, you're getting a lot of value out of this as well. So we really appreciate yep. that. And for anyone else, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get that message out to more people. And Tate, make sure you tune in tomorrow because we've got a banger of an episode talking about commercial property. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Emmett Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.